one of the best days of my life was the day I got married. And on the day of my marriage, uh, one of the scriptures I began to take to heart so that I could do my part to make this marriage the best that it could possibly be, one of those scriptures that really became important to me was 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7, where the Bible says, Husbands, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, through the years, I always understood that verse to mean that uh, I need to improve my, or, uh, yeah, I need to improve my prayer so I can improve my marriage. I'm not a single man anymore, so when I'm praying, I can't just be thinking about me. I'm a part of a team now. The rules have changed. When God sees me, he doesn't just see me. He sees both of us. So when I pray, I've got to be praying with her in mind because anything that's going to affect me is going to end up affecting her too. And I need to understand that when God answers my prayers, he's not just going to answer in a way that benefits me. He's going to answer in a way that's going to benefit both of us as we seek to do life together. So when I got married, I began to pray differently. And I believe 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 is teaching that. That's all true. But over the years, I've come to understand that that verse is also saying something else. That prayer is not only a tool that God's going to use to bless my marriage, but marriage is a tool that God's going to use to change me, to refine my life and to enhance my walk with Jesus. You know, it's like a camera. Sometimes to get a better picture, you've got to change the lens. You put on a different lens so you can refocus, so you can see more clearly. Well, when God brought me to Martha, my wife, he put a new lens on my heart. Now, when I look at life and I look at the world, I'm not just looking through my eyes. I'm looking through her eyes, too. And with that extra point of view, God has given me a much better perspective on life. Well, marriage is not the only place where I think you can experience that kind of change. I think we experience that same kind of change when we become a part of the church. And I believe that's one of the lessons that's being taught in the scripture that we're going to study today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 and 22. If you have a Bible... Would you open it up and look at this with me? We're going to look at just the last two verses of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, 21 and 22. Now, there's three things I want you to keep in mind as we read through these verses. Number one, in these verses, the Apostle Paul is talking about the church. What does it mean to be a part of church? Well, being part of a church, Paul says, is like putting up a building. Now, why is he using a picture like this? Because at the time that he writes this letter, the people living in the city of Ephesus are going through the same experience that we're going through right now here in Whitestown. They were seeing new buildings going up all over the place. I mean, the, the population of Ephesus was just exploding. At the time that Paul writes this letter, there's about 100,000 people living there, which is about double the size of what that city had been just a few decades earlier. I mean, this city is just growing by leaps and bounds. In fact, 25 years later, when the Apostle John comes to town to work with the church at Ephesus, now instead of 100,000 people, there were 250,000 people. And then 25 years after that, now the population was close to half a million. I mean, a building boom was going on every day, new construction sites just popping up all over the place. So here's something everybody could see and connect with. Hey, growing a church is like putting up a building. A transformation is taking place. Here's the second thing we need to keep in mind as we read through these verses. This church, this building that is being described here, it's not finished yet. It's still under construction. It's still not all that it is supposed to be. 
Now, that's really important to keep in mind whenever you join a local church. You need to understand we're not perfect. We're still a work in progress. God still has a lot of improvements to make in your life and mine. We're still learning. We're still growing. We haven't reached our full maturity yet. Jesus is still in the process of building this church and putting everything together in just the right way. So when you become a member of this church family, you've got to keep that in mind. Be patient with us. And then the third thing we need to keep in mind when we read through these verses is the, uh, the building that is being described here, it's not any kind of building. It's a very particular kind of building. What's being described here is a temple, a sacred place where God himself can live and work. So the shape and design of this building is going to be unique because God wants something to happen here that's not going to happen in any other building in town. So with those three facts in mind, let's take a look at this. Scripture, Ephesians chapter 2, starting with verse 21. It says, in him, meaning in Jesus, this whole building is being joined together. But joined together in what way? Well, the previous verse, the Bible told us that Jesus himself is the chief cornerstone. And for people living in the city of Ephesus, first century Ephesus, that meant something special. You know, today, many times, today a cornerstone is just something decorative, ceremonial. You know, it's something you put items in with a date stamped on it. But it's not an essential part of the building itself. But that's not the way it was in the first century. In the first century, the, the, the cornerstone was the primary foundation stone. It's the first stone you set in place because every other stone in the building was going to be measured by it. It was the cornerstone that set the standard. The, the lay of the walls, the dimension of the structure was all determined by that chief cornerstone. Well, so it is in the church. It's Jesus who defines us. It's Jesus who determines the shape of our lives. Our purpose, our meaning, our sense of mission is found in him. He determines our outlook. He determines our attitude, our mindset. We're here to follow his lead. We are here to do what he wants. Everything in this church should be centered around Jesus. So it's in him and Jesus that this whole community is being joined together so that we can rise up to become a holy temple in the Lord. And verse 22, in him, in Jesus, we, we are being, as a community, we are being built together. We're the individual rocks and stones. We're the building materials that Jesus is using to put this community together. And again, you got, you got to keep the first century setting in mind. In first century Ephesus, they didn't have mortar to hold the stones together, to hold things tight. No, the only way those stones were going to fit together was each individual stone had to be carefully cut and shaped. And then as they put them together, this building, this is a special building, it's being put together for a purpose. And the purpose here, he's brought, drawn us together as a community so that together we might become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Here's a picture of what we're talking about. When Jesus picked his 12 disciples to the men that he asked to follow him were Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Now you talk about oil and water, something that's never going to mix. Here are two guys that are never going to get along with each other. They're enemies. Simon the Zealot, the Zealots, that's a Jewish revolutionary movement. Simon's a part of this group of men, Jewish men, who have dedicated themselves to overthrowing the Roman Empire by any means necessary. Which means most of the Jewish people would look at Simon with admiration. They would consider him to be a heroic freedom fighter. But then you've got Matthew, the tax collector, the very opposite. He's collaborating with Rome. He's charging taxes. He's taking money out of people's pockets, taking money out of the pockets of his Jewish people to support Rome. 
Man, I mean, in the natural order of things, here's two guys who are never going to click. They hate what each other is doing. They hate what each other stands for. And then one day, Jesus comes along, and he asks these two men to just set their differences aside. And from now on, just focus. Just concentrate on following Jesus. Now think about the impression that's going to make. As the crowds gather around Jesus, what are they going to notice? Well, they'll see the miracles he's performing, and they will be amazed. Who else can do this kind of a thing? And they'll hear the lessons that he teaches. and wow, there's nobody who's ever taught us with that kind of authority. And they begin to recognize there really is something unique about Jesus. But then they're going to notice his disciples. This community of believers who committed themselves to following him. And here's Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. How can these two guys be living and working together? Well, the only explanation is Jesus. See, as a crowd gathers around Jesus, they're going to notice there really is something special about this community that has committed themselves to centering their lives around him. There's a love here. There's a transformation taking place that could only come from God. Mary Ann Bryan is an opera singer, and one day she came to the post office in New York City to pick up a package. The clerk asked for some identification, and that's when Mary Ann realized she forgot her purse. No driver's license, no visa card. What is she going to do? The clerk said, hey, I'm sorry. It's the rules of the post office. I can't give you the package without some identification. So Mary Ann Bryant stood there and thought, okay, I'll show you who I am. So she took a few steps back, and with that large, booming, operatic voice, she began to sing. And I mean, the music just reverberated off the walls of the post office. And soon a crowd began to gather, both from inside the post office and outside the post office. People are hearing this singing, and wow, is that glorious. I've never heard music like that before. What in the world's going on? And they all came running in to see. And as the crowd kept growing, so did the face of the post office clerk kept getting redder and redder and more and more embarrassed. And finally said, okay, 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 stop singing. I can see who you are. Here's your package. The church is a stranger to this world. And the world needs to see some identification. And what they need to see is more than just the symbol of a fish on the back of our car. And they need to see more than just a bracelet on our wrist that says, what would Jesus do? No, what they need to see is a heart that's truly surrendered to Jesus. A life that is serious about following his lead. They need to see men and women and brothers and sisters in Christ who every day go out of their way to show their love for Jesus, who every day go out of their way to show their love for one another. There really is something special about this community. And what makes this community special? Jesus. I'll be honest. I'm not there yet. I'm not all. I'm far from, far from what I should be as I try to represent him. But I do know this. I know where I want to be. I want to be a totally dedicated, fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Don't you? Let's pray. God, we're here because we love Jesus. We treasure what he has done for us. God, we're here because we want to follow his lead. We want to be the church that he has called us to be. So God, this morning, we just surrender ourselves to you and we pray. God, we want you to have your way with us. 
And we pray for this in Jesus' name.